Good morning, everyone. My name is Dennis Stewart, and this is the Wisdom Seekers class I'm teaching this morning. The title of our lesson is Our Design, Desire, and Destiny. Design, Desire, and Destiny by Dennis. <laughs> and in parentheses there is like a subtitle, a little late in life for this understanding. <clears throat> Have you ever wished you had learned something before you learned it? And that you'd learned it earlier in life. And I know I have. Now I sound like Andy Rooney now, don't I? But like you, I have known about and even studied the verses that we're going to be looking at today. But I can't say that I uh, have totally appreciated what they were revealing about who I am and what makes me tick. And you'll see what I mean as we go through this. What are my motivations, and wh why are they what they are? Uh, I, I think so differently than a woman thinks. Why is that? And uh, I, I haven't figured out that. I could take this on the road if I figured that out. <coughs> but I'm working on it. Why did God create Adam in the first place? What is man for? What is his purpose? What, if, if we know that an animal, for example, is designed uh, in a certain way, then we expect them to act like they're designed to act. We see, uh, for example, that uh, a, a golden retriever, the dog, you know, he just loves the water. And it's not uncommon for us to see him in the water. He's designed. And therefore, because he's designed to love the water, we see him run headlong and jump as far out in as he can. And if he submerges, he likes it even more, right? And, and uh, that's his design, and it's be affected or it's created his desire. And then we know the rest is destiny. That's who he becomes. He is in that water as often as he can be. Um, the lion, he loves to hunt. The hawk and the eagle, they love to soar. The horse loves to run. We expect them to do that in the wild because that's how they're designed and that has created their desire. It is what they are made for. For you and me, however, our own desire, you'll notice, reveals our design. We're designed a certain way. It creates our desire. And those two things accomplish our destiny. But man's design has been twisted. It's been changed. And that changed man's desire. Our desires aren't always what they should be, according to God, the way God meant for our desires to be. Everybody knows that, right? And our design and our desires, therefore, reveal what our intended destiny should be. Let's take adventure as an example. That's a desire, isn't it? I've, got, I've had the desire for adventure <laughs> many, many times, and I have the scars to prove it. Uh, 
I was wanting to be adventurous from the time I could probably walk, as, as long as I could remember, and uh, did things that, that had a lot of risk, risk-taking in this adventure, this exploration desire that man is gifted with, testing my physical limits. And you know what I'm talking about, the men there, you know that we want to test our physical li limits. We want to see what we can do and and task what we can do to the to the point of failure and hopefully not beyond that but plenty of times it goes beyond the point of our capability and we get hurt by it sometimes a girl on the other hand well she likes a lot some of that but more often uh, she's more the one towards caring and nurturing and settling than her counterpart males I'm talking large groups now, so in general. You'll often see a girl uh, sitting in the floor, and she'll pull her dolls in close to her. She'll have the little blankets, and she'll start working with those. She'll talk to them like she's teaching them something. She'll care for her younger siblings, and she just loves that as, as an activity. The boy, well, he's more likely to push away his stuff, <coughs> get on his hands and knees and take a car or a truck and go down the hallway and go into the room and go into another room and come back and he's on an adventure in his mind and that's what he that's how he acts out when he's at play by himself um, consider the mission that God gave Adam and then think about adventure and risk and desire and design and all of that that's been fashioned into man. Genesis one twenty eight and God blessed them and God said unto them, Be fruitful and multiply, and replenish the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over every living thing that moveth upon the earth. Now there's adventure. That is adventure you think about it the only garden in the in the world that we know of and and I'm sure it was the only garden was the Garden of Eden everything else was unchartered everything else was in the wild okay and the um, the instruction by God was to explore the whole world subdue it cultivate it care for it it's your kingdom. Think about it. Everything that was wild, he was to subdue. Now, there's adventure. There, there was, there was a, 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 a heavenly atmosphere in the garden. There wasn't risk. He could go up to any animal and pet it, right? Talk to it. But outside of the garden, no rivers had, or had been crossed no oceans had been crossed no mountains had been climbed outside of a garden and so this was an invitation this verse that we just read to go find the equator okay that uh, <clears throat> everything's a black a, a blank page it's waiting for man to discover a molecule for example this is an inverse invitation to go discover a molecule uh, to build an empire, to invent 
fuel injection, find a way to do everything that we had to do, to write an entire symphony or play one, adventure, overcoming, learning. It's a task that God gave every man, and it is full of adventure and, in many cases, risk. And God said, Behold, I have given you every herb bearing seed, which is upon all of the earth, and every tree, and in, every, uh, and in which is the fruit of a tree, yielding seed excuse me, to you, it shall be for meat and to every beast of the earth and in every fowl of the air and to everything that <coughs> creepeth upon the earth wherein there is life I have given every green herb for meat and it was so Genesis 1 29 and 30 now just go out there and do it now that's quite an instruction isn't it we uh, were not made to simply kill time and then let time eventually kill us. It's not how we're made. It's not our design. The secret longing of our hearts is to accomplish something, to build a boat or to sail it, to write a song or to sing it, to write a book or to read as many as you can, to lead people to Christ or to nurture them to successful living for Christ. That seed is within us, that design, and then it, it uh, creates our desires. You don't have to tell a boy to explore. He's going to go do that. Build and conquer. He's going to do that. It's his purpose. You don't have to tell a girl to care for and dress her dolls and protect her younger siblings. It's what she was designed for. As a young married man out of the military, just as an example, 100 years ago, out of college, only thing before me was to make lots of money if I was man enough. And I thought about that challenge a lot. Am I man enough? I'm married now. I better be man enough. And out of a several interviews, I met a man <laughs> who told me and interested me in this job in sales. He said, this is a full commission job. No sales, no money. Lots of sales, lots of money. That is your challenge, young man. And I'll tell you one thing. You take this job, you will always know what you're worth. And that stuck with me somehow. I wanted to know what I was worth. I took that job. And after that, I took a lot of jobs just like it. No sales, no money. And uh, it, it, it made, and those, those words still ring in my, mom, <laughs> in my mind. No sales, no money. You'll know what you're worth.
my future boss uh, said a lot of things, but that's what really stuck with me in the very beginning. Later, I was asked to teach Sunday school. We'd had some success. Life was much better. I was asked to teach Sunday school. I wasn't doing this 40-hour a week thing. I was doing a lot more than that, trying to be successful. And the first thought that went through my mind was, can I do this? No, it's too much. I can't do it. It's too much. Uh, I'm just far too busy. God has made me successful. I have all these things to do. Actually, I'm probably worth, uh, I probably have more than I'm worth. That's how successful God has made me. Then the second thoughts came. I can't back away from this challenge. Can't back away. God makes me successful. I can't say no to this. And besides that, it's a challenge. Besides that, I love to go forward and accomplish new horizons, new things that are on the horizon. I wish I could have known more about what I was designed to do and be according to today's teaching. And that's why I said I'm a little late in life. Because I struggled with what my motivations were. Is this for you? So you can accomplish these great things? Or is this for the people that you're going to be talking to? Who, why are you doing this? What makes you think that you're good that you can do this? And on and on and on. What I didn't realize was this is what God made me for. This was my design. This was creating the desire that I had within me to go do that. I struggled with working too hard and why am I doing it and <clears throat> you know why adventure risk <laughs> even in my off time I loved risk I played sports way beyond when I should have <laughs> I loved risk I just uh, but I wouldn't admit it had I known what we're looking at today I would have been prouder of it knowing that that's what God how God made me Perhaps this speaks to some of you as well. I don't know. I was supposed to say this is who I am. This is who I'm designed to be. So be it. <laughs> do it. Be it. These desires to do all I can do are who God made me to be. Instead, I was thinking... Who do you think you are? I got over that battle, but it took a while. It shouldn't have been a battle. It should have been accepted. Had I known what were, is in this teaching as I should have known it. Let's look at another desire. Man longs for a battle to go fight. <laughs> Why is that? Is that how we're designed? Yes. It's how we were designed. Throughout my life, there's been villains to fight. The boy down the street that was a bully. I got to win. I can't let him win. The teen rival. We all know about those. 
another man. As I grew, sure, there was other men to fight verbally, less than physically once you're grown. If not a physical fight, certainly. So I thought I had trouble with my microphone there for a minute. Um, <clears throat> a contest for ranking within a company, a competitor, a career promotion, a sport, playing as an adult. And if it was none of those things, to be honest, it was my own dark voice. The one that says you should compromise, cut corners. You'll have more sales, you'll make more money. You know the dark voice I'm talking about. Cut corners at work. Say this <coughs> and imply something bad about your competitor for the next promotion. That dark voice, everybody's got it. We got it, honestly, we got it from Adam, didn't we? It's a perversion of the design that created this evil desire within us. When man entered into the story of in Genesis, the world was at war, spiritual war. The lines were drawn. Somewhere, sometime before time began, Satan planned this violent takeover in heaven with one-third of the angels. It didn't work out too good, did it? As a result, it didn't work out too well for us either. But where did God kick Satan to? Not just the curb, to earth. And then where did God put man? On earth. We were not born into a sitcom. We were born into a world at war spiritual warfare and that's why we have been given these strong this strong design and these strong desires are an outcome of the design we're not born into a soap opera this is a spiritual warfare zone that we've been placed into the middle of there's going to be middle, many battles to fight and, and then refight on many different battlefields many different levels Many surprise attacks. We're all designed with a desire to overcome. We're given what it takes, and what it takes is yielding to God who made us in order to overcome the enemy by his might. Not by our might, by his might. So we are created to win, and that's our design. But in order to win, we are created to give up. And that's giving up our fight and allowing it to be God's fight. Not easy to understand on the surface, is it? Yet that's how God made us. That's how he made this whole thing we call this world, world at war. Another desire. Act long for a beauty to love. And so does man today. There was Eve. Adam was going to need her, and she was going to need him. She was drawn from man's side, and it leaves an ache inside of Adam and all of us 
that never goes away until she is with him again at his side. Adam has never never was told that Eve will face a temptation. God doesn't tell Adam anything about it. And that temptation will affect not only her and Adam, but all future generations of man, and God doesn't say a thing about it. He didn't say, uh, watch Eve. She's going to be tempted. It's going to ruin the whole thing with mankind. Could have got a little more warning, thank you. Didn't happen, did it? Adam, tr- God trusted Adam. He put within him his desire that it would create the desire to overcome temptation. And he had everything that he needed to overcome, just as we do. And just like Adam, we fail every day. God trusts in Adam. Everything he needed was already in his heart and spirit. It was designed into him by God. Yet it doesn't go well for them in this temptation, and it doesn't go well for us as a result. So we see the, tempt, the serpent tempting Eve. All of our futures are hanging in the balance. And it makes me wonder, where was Adam all this time? Well, we're going to read that he was right there. That's where he was. Genesis 3, 6. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took the fruit thereof and did eat and gave it also to her husband with her. (laughs) Elbow to elbow. And he did eat. We read often about... And what she, and her dialogue with Satan, <clears throat> and Satan tempting her. And we don't think about Adam standing right there, watching it all happen, saying to himself, "I ain't talking. My wife's talking." So <clears throat> he lost it. He's right there watching. Never says a word. He won't risk it. He won't fight. He won't rescue Eve. There he is, our first father, the first man, gives in to paralysis. He is designed, he has been, uh, he has, excuse me, he has denied and ignored his very design in nature, and he goes passive. Every man after Adam carries with him the same propensity to fail in his own strength. It's there. It's hardwired. It's a corruption to original design, and we've all got it. Every man repeats the sin of Adam every day. So much of the time, we won't, we won't risk. We won't fight. We won't rescue Eve. We truly are sons and daughters of Adam. Eve fails in her design as well, as we see. Genesis 2.18, and the Lord said, it's not good that man should be alone. I will make him and help meet 
word there is ezer, helper or helpmeet for him. You'll notice in some translations, they conclude that that is even a stronger term. Some places, lifesaver. What happened to Adam's lifesaver? She failed. Her design was uh, twisted as a result. This word is there is is only used in other places of God and in times when you desperately need God to come through for you. For example, in Deuteronomy 33:26, there is none like unto the God of Jezreel who rideth upon the heaven and thy help is there. This helper, this help meet, this life saver. And in his excellency on the sky. He's there. This it's used of God, it's used of Eve. Eve is the helper, the life giver, the life saver. She is Adam's ally. The charter for adventure is given to both of them. It'll take both to sustain life. And they'll both have to fight together. <laughs> Careful how you say that. <laughs> but the helper has failed her own design and failed her partner. And Adam has failed his partner. Who is this fallen Eve? What about her daughters? Somehow she became convinced that God was withholding something good from her. Satan convinced her of that. The artistry of her design became a dreadful dive into the barren places of control and loneliness. Because of that, now every daughter of Eve has something within her heart that wants to control her surroundings, her relationships, even control her God, as she was trying to control her God in the garden. This new dimension no longer wants to share in the adventure. Now she wants to control the adventure, even control Adam and the men after Adam. Her beauty, well, she may hide it in fear and anger, or she may use it to secure her place in the world. That's the fallen daughter of Eve. Now, fallen man and woman will try to manipulate their surroundings so they'll no longer feel so defenseless. And now the fallen may become rigider, clinging to their mate. Instead of being inviting to their mate, they may be hiding themselves in busyness or demanding that their mate somehow come through for them. Next thing. Then the fallen become pretenders. The great pretenders. I think I heard that song once somewhere. Hiders and those who blame others. Adam and Eve know what was going uh, they know what has gone wrong. They they know all about it. They're no longer who they were, who they were meant to be. So they hide. And not only do they hide, they blame. 
Genesis 3, 9 through 13. And the Lord God called unto Adam and said unto them, Where art thou? He said, I heard thy voice in the garden, and I was afraid, because I was naked, and I <clears throat> hid myself. And he said, Who told thee that thou, hast, that thou wast naked? Hast thou eaten of the tree, whereof I commanded thee that thou shouldst not eat? And the man said, The woman. <laughs> There's the blame. The woman whom thou gavest to me. She gave me to eat of the tree, and I did eat. The Lord God said unto the woman, What is it thou hast done? And the woman said, The serpent. The serpent beguiled me, and I did eat. And we've been blaming each other ever since. Every last one of us are hiding something. Beneath all of the pretending, the busyness, the hiding, the blaming of others, we all know that we are not what we were meant to be. Afraid of exposure, we run off into the bushes of our office, the gym, the newspaper, get behind it, the computer, the family, <clears throat> a hobby, but mostly we hide behind our own personality. Wow. Most of us, uh, uh, most of what we encounter today when we meet someone is a facade and an, an elaborate fig leaf, a brilliant disguise. How do many men who do not know much about car engines talk to their mechanic? <laughs> you want to talk about pretending? Oh, I see what you mean. It's the code, gar code bar bail latch lever release spring. In there, that's what's gone wrong. Well, I was hoping it wasn't that. Does it happen much on this model? The pretender. We're all the pretender sometimes, if not all the time. How do many women who do not know much about cooking talk? Oh, so you add that in before the other, and that's what causes the dough to rise uh, better. Uh, doing it that way. Interesting. I'll have to try it. She ain't going to try that. She doesn't even bake. <laughs> Pretenders. Pretenders. Fortunately, no one is pretending at church. How is it going, the pastor asked. Wonderful, Pastor. Thank you for asking. And the marriage is about to split up, and the children hate their parents, and the finances are deep in the red. Well, maybe it's not that bad. But you see what I mean. Pretending. So what do we do when strength has gone bad? What happens? Strength has gone bad. Adam fell. Most of his sons fell with him. What do you see as we read on? Adam produces violent men, and he produces passive men. We got the same ones today, don't we? Those are his offspring. 
original strength has gone bad. Cain kills Abel. Lamech threatens to kill everybody else. God finally floods the earth because of the violence and the sin of man. And it's still going on today. Sometimes it gets physical. Wars and rumors of wars. Mostly it's verbal. But almost always it's hurtful. That's who we are in our condition of fallen strength. Some Christians men some Christian men speak terrible abuse to their wives or vice versa. You mean it doesn't just happen to the really fallen? It happens to the righteous also? <clears throat> the righteous can be fleshly, very fleshly. Absolutely. I've heard of reports of pastors running mega churches who browbeat their staff the other five, six days of the week, flaunting their power over them, threatenings, so on. Men of war for generations have witnessed the big talkers, the bullies in the outfit. Well, they're the first to run away from the battle. They're the cowards. It's often the quiet ones that stay there and fight on bravely. Bullies run first. A violent facade is often a cover-up for fear. We have become pretenders. This was not our design. How about the achievers? Oh, they're running fast lives. They're successful. They often have uh, a fear-based believing that this will be their show of manhood. Yeah. I drive a bigger car. I'm a bigger man. I'm a better man. Often aware of what happens if they fail, though, they press on with all their might towards success. Sometimes my life would... My, my wife. That she is my life. Sometimes my wife would call me at work, and I'm confessing now, okay? She tried to tell me something, ask me something, something important. Early in the conversation somewhere, she would say, well, uh, you have your work, you have your work voice on. We'll talk about this later. Immediately, I knew we had two things to talk about when I got home. I had my work voice on. She didn't want to talk to me. Um, you might say my fig leaf was showing. I'm confessing. <coughs> I could say don't try to hide behind your fig leaf, but that could be misunderstood later, taken out of context. We hide behind that fig leaf, don't we? In many, many ways is the point. Never let down. Never drop your guard. Give 150%. My father actually gave me good advice. He said, never let them see you sweat. He was a simple man. <laughs> In many ways, 
just short sentences and it meant a whole lot. Never let them see you sweat. And that was his answer no matter what problem I went through between the age of three and until he passed on. Never let him see you sweat. And I knew what that meant more and more and more as I grew and had bigger problems. I realized what he was telling me with that short, sweet sentence. But until a man or a woman faces their own pretending honestly and prayerfully and understand what is really behind this facade, this pretending, they can really cause damage to themselves and to the ones that are closest to them. Strength gone bad. <clears throat> when Abraham was forced to by famine, down into Egypt, he wants Sarah to tell Pharaoh that she is his sister so he won't be killed. Never mind that he's putting Sarah in a whole lot of jeopardy. That's what he says. And so she does. You know the rest, and God has to save her out of that. Not learning his lesson, however, <coughs> he does it again years later. Look at these two events quickly. Therefore it shall come to pass when the Egyptians shall see thee, they shall say, this is his wife, and they will kill me. But they will, be, they will, save, but they will save thee alive. Say, I pray thee, thou art my sister, that it may be well with me for my sake, for thy sake, and my soul shall live because of thee. Thanks. Just save my life. Take your chances. The second time, and Abraham said of Sarah, his wife, she is my sister. And Abimelech, king of Gerar, sent and took Sarah. Twice. In fact, Isaac did the same thing. <laughs> Jeopardizing Rachel, didn't he? In much the same way. The sins of the father were passed along. Fortunately, that sort of line has ended there. It hadn't happened since. It's still going on, isn't it? Every day. Every day by many of us. But Abraham is a good man, a friend of God, a righteous man. And, and I'm, not, I'm not trying to... I'm trying to make a point, but I don't want to denigrate either. God said he was a righteous man, so let's look at that. For what saith the scripture? Abraham believed God, and it was counted unto him for righteousness. Now to him that worketh is the reward not reckoned of grace, but of debt. But to him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. Even as David also describeth the uh, blessedness of the man unto whom God imputeth righteousness without works, saying, Blessed are those iniquities, for, for uh, are those when the iniquities are forgiven, 
and whose sins are covered. Blessed is man to whom the Lord will not impute sin. Cometh this blessedness then upon the circumcision only or upon the uncircumcision also? For we say that faith was reckoned to Abraham for righteousness. How was it then reckoned? When he was in circumcision or uncircumcision? Not in circumcision, but in uncircumcision. And he received the sign of circumcision after the fact. In I, I interjected that. A seal of the righteousness of the faith which he had yet been uncircumcised. He was had the faith before he was circumcised. That he might be the father of them that believe. Though they be not circumcised, that righteousness might be imputed unto them also. He was a man who believed in God. And God said, he's my friend. God didn't say he's not a coward. He didn't say he faltered all the time. He, none of these things. He said, he's a righteous man. He's my friend. But Abraham is also a coward. Many of us are just like him and Adam. Men and women who can't commit to marriage, men who hide behind the fig leaf of niceness, spirituality, never confront, never have difficult situations, never take a stand or cloak themselves in busyness. I've avoided arguments. Is anyone else? Sure. There's a point where we become weak. Adam's, Adam's fall sent a tremor through the human race. A fatal flaw entered the original design of who we were meant to be. It has been passed on from generation to generation to every son and to every daughter. Every little boy and girl is set up for a loss of heart, a loss of original purpose, or a design that becomes a personal beatdown. Twisted, damaged. That's what's going to happen. Hold that little thing in your arms, you know that that's going to happen to them. Even if we can't put it into words, every person is haunted by the question, and I'm really, am I really man enough? Am I really woman enough? Have I got what it takes to be strong in the Lord when it really counts? Everybody. Fallen man can't say that. Forgiven man can say that on his faith right depending on his strength in the Lord in order to win he has to give up interesting you can't win on your own you fight it on your own you're gonna lose if you want to win give up doesn't make sense in the natural does it but when we give up to God then we win What's the conclusion to all this? From Adam until today and forward until Christ returns, we shall be those who fail in our own strength. Those who say they could never be an Abraham, 
Isaac, Jacob, David, Peter, Paul, John. They're missing the point. Absolutely missing the point. I know because I've said it. I could never be that. The truth is, we are already like them. <laughs> and we don't know it. We are them. They are us. We be they. Okay? <laughs> and we don't realize it. We're already like them. We're not who we were intended to be, and neither were they. How shall we ever be until we are justified by grace? Our sin. We shall only be like our original purpose when we are redeemed through Christ and gain our strength through his Holy Spirit and then apply it to everyday life. Romans 3.23 through 28 it says for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God we can stop right there and say that's why we're just like them that's why they're just like us period moving on being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Jesus or Christ Jesus whom God set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood to declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are past through the forbearance of God. To declare, I say at this time, his righteousness that he might be just and the justifier of which believed in Jesus. Where's the boasting then? It is excluded. By what law? Or in other words, by what law can it be excluded? By what law? Of works? No. Nay. But by the law of faith. Therefore we conclude that a man is justified by faith without the deeds of the law. And it occurs to me so simply that when we see these amazing bigger than life patriarchs of the Old Testament and the New Testament we're looking at their works that's what we see works is faith and action right we see their actions we see their their works I believe when God sees them he still sees justification by faith and faithful servants who relied on his strength and not their own when they overcame. He doesn't see a man that's better than I am, a woman that's better than a woman today. He sees someone justified by faith and faithful. Now unto him that is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. That's in Jude 124. It's one of my favorite verses. I just it's small, it's sweet, reminds me of my dad. <laughs> Two things we're promised. And interestingly, we're promised them by God. Number one, God will keep us from falling, and number two, 
he will present us faultly, faultless to himself. as one redeemed by Christ Jesus. But God did it. Not only does he keep me from falling, he presents me to himself as faultless through Christ. That's a done deal, isn't it? How does he keep me from falling? Well, 1 Corinthians 10, 13, There hath no temptation taken you, but, that, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that ye are able, but will, with the temptation, also make a way to escape, that ye may be able to bear it. All of these things that we've been talking about. Thanks for bearing with me and being patient. What is his point? Okay. Thank you for listening to that. Galatians 6, 1, 2. How in the world can we do anything but look at a fallen saint with mercy and kindness? Knowing what we know in these verses that we've read. Looking at the actual story as closely as we can. For it says, Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such an one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. Bear ye one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. That could be me. What it's telling us? You see, when you look at that situation, say, that could be me. In humility and meekness. Forbearing one another. Last verse. Romans seven twenty five through eight four. We've all heard it, read it, studied it. I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then with the mind I myself serve the law of God. <clears throat> but with the flesh the law of sin. There is therefore no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, in that it was weak, through the flesh God sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, condemned sin in the flesh that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh but after the spirit. And what I've tried to show is that we're all in that same fallen state. Without God's strength, we can't do anything right in our, in our own. It just, if it isn't it, okay, it ain't going to work. If you want to win, you have to give up. Two points. In verse 3. For what the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh, God sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, 
He condemned sin in the flesh. So, God had to undertake man's deliverance himself. Think about that. He looked down and said, they ain't going to do it. <laughs> right. So, God knew before it even started. He had to undertake man's deliverance from sin so that the flesh could be liberated to fulfill the righteousness that the law demanded. Return our design and desires to their original intended purpose and continue on to our intended destiny. Design, desire, destiny. He had to take that on himself so that it would all happen as it was intended. And it wasn't going to happen through us. It was only going to happen through his son. Verse 4. So that was one point. The second point is coming. That the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh but after the spirit. Verse 4. By the walk of Christ in real flesh and yet without sin. Christ condemned sin in all flesh and made a way whereby no flesh had to continue in sin. Does that make sense? <clears throat> this is who we are. Men and women who need God's redemption through Christ and the strength of the Holy Spirit to live in a sinful world through and by the leadership of the Holy Spirit. That's who we are. And only that way will our design be pure enough to create the proper desires and move us on to fulfill our intended destiny. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Father, I thank you for your speaking to us this morning. I pray, Lord, for each one who's listened to what this uh, has lesson is and what does mean. Enlightenment and their and that you would lead them to understand pretend that they need to make it with you.